Good morning. Good to see you guys. And so good to be seen by those of you who are at home or in our family room. By the way, thank you guys for prioritizing getting your families here in, in a setting that's, that's not featuring children's ministry. Uh, I don't know if you realize, but children's ministry is a modern invention that churches years ago didn't have anything called children's ministry. Kids just came and they were a part of receiving the ministry that God was doing in the setting. And I know that's a little extra work for many of you. So thank you for prioritizing that. You guys upstairs, grateful for you being here. Um, go ahead. If you, if you carry a Bible, you got something electronic, you're going to turn to, turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read from there this morning. Um, let me get a little extra public service announcement in for our prayer gathering on Wednesday night. Uh, if you were able to be a part of the last time we were together to pray as a church for this special season that we're in, uh, you know that was that God just met with us. And, and let me encourage you in this. You know, I, this, this meeting here is, is designed a certain way. It, it, it carries certain biblical values with it in the teaching and preaching of the word and our corporate worship are our primary reasons why this meeting gathers. In some ways, it, it does require your preparation. I hope you never come to a service where you're just kind of like skidding in here going, oh yeah, this is church, where am I? Um, but that you're coming with your heart prepared to engage God in this moment. It, it takes a little heart prep to do that. Uh, a prayer meeting is all about you being prepared to be here because there will be some worship, but not a lot of leadership in that category. And we'll give some direction in our prayer time, but not a lot. So if you were going to stand in this pulpit on Wednesday night and lead all of us, would you come prepared for that? Would you right now be saying, God, what, what are we even praying about? What matters that we're praying about anything, right? You, you would give some prep time for that. Well, under this umbrella that we have said, you know, this, this meeting is about uh, gospel unity in a world of pandemics and all that that's meaning for people right now and social struggles and all that that's meaning right now. So get with God between now and Wednesday and find out what does he want you to bring to pray about in this gathering, right? And I know when we come in the door and we've got something from God and faith in our hearts, God's going to meet with us on Wednesday night. All right, well, before I jump into this, a quick question for you. How many of us realize everything cannot be equally important in our lives? Yeah, just ponder that for a second, right? Everything can't be urgent. Everything can't be ultimate. Everything can't be, oh my gosh. And, and, and if you're a person who's prone to make everything feel that way, you are really fun to live with. <laughs> and, and you probably have a hard time living with yourself, right? Some things need to be really, really dominantly influential and important in our lives. And other things need to be in the shadow of that. And what we talk about today, you know, the title of the message today is unity in the gospel of first importance. Like we, we heard from Paul last week that this gospel comes to our world and to our lives. And it takes up the space of being of first importance. So whatever we are urgent about, whatever we are animated about, whatever most owns our thinking and our plans and our pocketbook and our time and who we will relate to and who we won't relate to, something needs to be of most importance that speaks into everything else. And out of that first importance comes this issue of unity, right? And that's where we're going to take a little bit of a detour, but not much because Paul is trying to unify these Corinthians. Remember, they were very divided. They were very in camps and tribalism was in their day, just like it's in our day. So Paul was calling for unity and he's going to clarify that call in Philippians. This is why I'm steering us that way. But let me make two quick statements before we get into that passage. Unity is one part mystery and it's one part miracle, right? It's one part mystery from, from this standpoint. 
Um, we use a terminology, and I think it's an accurate terminology. It's got some real truth in it. When we describe relating to other people as to whether or not we have chemistry with somebody, right? You can go with me there? Right? You don't have equal chemistry with everybody in your life, right? You didn't like get married and it's kind of like, yeah, nothing here, nothing here, nothing here, but let's get married anyway. There was some chemistry there, right? You've got friends in your life. You've got people you spend time with. You've got people you really connect with because there's some kind of chemistry there. Well, what does that even mean? What does it mean for us to have chemistry? Well, let me break out my engineering nerd background here just for a second. You guys remember when you were in school and you, you took classes? You'll know a little bit about this, huh? About chemistry. Uh, all right, well, so chemistry, you know, you got that big chart, that table of elements, right? Do you guys remember some of this stuff? And, and you came to, to understand that these, these various atomic elements, they had some kind of an electrical element to them and between them. And that created an attractiveness or a repulsion between the two of them. They exchanged something in an invisible way that caused them to come together and become something. Right, so, so let's say we picked out of that Mr. Hydrogen and we just invited him to come join us and, and Mrs. Oxygen and, and she came and joined us together here and we would relate from chemistry that those two can form a really interesting special relationship called water. And, and water is pretty important to us, isn't it, right? I mean, it's important to our lives. It's either part of a beautiful sunset over the Pacific Ocean or it's something that's, that you need to hydrate and it's, it's just what you need on a sweaty, hot day in New Orleans. Water is pretty special, but you understand water comes from two individuals who come in unity in an interesting way and come together. So what's, what's the basis of our unity in the church? Right, that's what Paul's after with the Corinthians. That's what, what, what he's going to be after today with the Philippians. Where does this mystical unity factor come in for us who have come from all kinds of backgrounds and we were different, we got, you know, we're, we're hydrogen and oxygen in some different way, right? We're just not exactly the same, but, but when we come together, there's something life-giving, something powerful that gets creatable. But what's the mystical force for us? Right? Well, let me give you a passage here real quickly. We're not going to spend any time here, but Ephesians 4. This is a common issue. Paul dealt with unity in almost all the churches that he was interacting with. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. He's going to sound that exact same way when we get to the Philippians here in just a moment. There is always an urgency in Paul visiting any church, writing to any church to speak to them about the manner of their life and urge them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then he describes what that would smell like when you got around in verse two, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Right? This, is, this is what it feels like. This is, what it, this is the aroma of relationships being done this way and of walking in a manner worthy. Boy, can you just stare at those for a second? I'm very tempted here, but I'm not, not going to chase them. I just, I just don't notice these words on a daily basis especially in our world. I, I don't come across much gentleness anywhere. I, I don't see patience. I don't see people putting up with, more than putting up with, bearing with one another in love. Clearly, there's some discrepancy. There's some difference going on. But not only am I bearing with, but I'm doing it in love. That, that when you walk away from the sense that I know you're different from me, and I know you feel differently than I do about this, but you walk away with me, for me with a sense of love has been in our exchange. I don't, I don't see that. It's not in the news. It's not being modeled by anybody with a microphone in front of them. And then he goes on and says that we are eager to maintain, here it is, here's the mystery, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain something. What is it that we're maintaining, right? We're not inventing this. 
Right? This is not a lesson today on here's uh, Keith's version or Lakeview Christian Center's version on how to invent unity. Right? We're not called to that. That's way above our pay grade. We're just here to maintain something and to engage something, to do something in cooperation with this mysterious thing called the unity of the spirits. It's mysterious. It's, it's like why hydrogen and oxygen go, boom, come together and there's, there's this life of water there. And the same thing with us, you and me coming together mysteriously. That means it's not so much about what makes you unique and me unique, what I like and what you like, how our personalities just mix. You know, we took a personality profile test and, and you graded out this way and I graded out this way. And look, we just, we just fit together so well. It's not about that. It's something mysterious in the spirit among us that brings us into union, unity with each other. And then he just unpacks that a little bit further. He says, hey, listen, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all through all and in all. All right, well, get the play on words that's here, right? You have one and you have all. You have a singularity and a plurality gathered into this passage here. You've got seven ones and you've got four alls. But do you get what he's trying to do right here? He's trying to say, hey, there's all of you. No denial here. There is all of you. But there's this one thing that outweighs all of you. So when all of us come together, we bring such variety with us. But what unity requires of us is that we exchange all of that for one thing. One thing that reigns above all those things. And I love the fact that this verse is not calling us to deny the variety and the differences that make up us all. This doesn't mean that we're all robots and carbon cutouts of each other. And I have to dress just like you and like the same music that you like and eat the same food and have exactly the same opinions and, and just fake like we all just agree on everything. That's not what this is about. There's something mysteriously unifying that the spirit gives to us in these one categories. And let me just pick on one of them because there's a bunch of them that are great here. But when Paul summons us to this calling to one hope that's powerful All right so in the christian universe you know there's not hundreds of hopes there's one and this is where you and i are facing today such a disunifying moment in our culture and around us because right now the voices that we're hearing engage social unrest political and voting elements. They're at war with each other because they're afraid they're going to lose their hope. Can you go with me there for a second? Why are people absolutely freaking out that Donald Trump could be elected or that Joe Biden could be elected? What's that about? Don't like hairstyles? What's that about? I'm afraid of what that guy and his manners or policies or politics will do to my future. That's what we're afraid of. That's a hope issue. But you're a Christian. You're called to one hope. Can I just shock everybody? It's not a Donald Trump hope or a Joe Biden hope. It's not a Republican hope or a Democratic hope. It's not a black hope or a white hope. It's one hope. It's one hope that got settled for every one of us on a hill outside of Jerusalem called Calvary. And it didn't get settled on a November 3rd. It got settled in that moment when the Son of God died in our place and reconciled us to the Father so that we would never, ever, ever again in the rest of our lives face a day that we did not have that one hope. 
And if that becomes weak, right? If that slips from number one in our lives and it gets down the list here a little bit, something else will creep up and take its place. And if you get in the way of that, we're going to go to war. We're not going to be unified. We might be in the same building here, but I'm not with you because you're going to vote that way on November 3rd and you're going to mess up my hope. You understand how subtle and powerful this is? Can I just tell you how powerful this is? The body of Christ is having a hard time with this all over America right now. And it's because we've lost something here. The mystery of unity doesn't come from these places. Now, unity is part mystery. It's also part miracle. Right? I wrote this in your outline if you've got an outline with you. Unity is one part miracle because the fall and the entrance of sin into our world thrust the world into a state of disunity and disharmony. When you wake up, nobody has to create disunity in our world and disharmony. It's there every day. It's there since the Garden of Eden. Something of an every man and every molecule for himself. So Mr. Hydrogen, Miss Oxygen, and every one of us, it's... How do I protect myself? What is right for me? I don't know that I want to be bonded to you because I don't know that you have the same opinions as I do. I don't know that you do life the way I want to do life. I don't know that you have the same priorities. I think your opinions make me feel funny. I don't want to get around you. So I don't know that I want to bond with you. Which is probably why we need to be told, maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Because there's something in our world that's That's not attractive, but that world is the world that's upside down. Since this is a political moment, let me introduce you to some ununifying political realities that are in our midst as churches today. Uh, David Platt, many of you guys wouldn't recognize David's name from uh, the ministry called Radical, the book called Radical a number of years ago. David's a pastor and author, lives in the Washington, D.C. area. And he's written a book called Before You Vote, Seven Questions to Ask Before You Vote. And the book came out this week and I read it and found it very helpful uh, in a number of ways. This is not about advancing a candidate. It's, it's about bringing up something that quite honestly, I don't know that I've seen hardly anybody do. Maybe I just didn't come across it before. But it, it installs a matter of philosophy for how Christians approach voting. I haven't seen a lot of guys write about that before. So it's not so much, hey, make sure you vote this way or for this person or, per, or, or cause. It's about how do you even approach the subject of being a Christian and interacting in a democratic society with all the issues that are here? How do you even approach that? So he asked seven good questions in that, but let me give you a few thoughts from his book today. He says, in the United States, particularly among rising generations, people are choosing their political position first and then determining their involvement or increasingly their lack of involvement in church. Basically, people self-select into churches or not into churches based upon their politics. One prominent study across a variety of churches found that very few people attend church services with other Bible-believing Christians who hold different political views than them. This is tragic, and I don't use that term lightly. Followers of Jesus are dividing into different churches, not based on what they believe about the Bible and the gospel, but because of what they believe about political candidates, parties, and positions. This should not be so. Before we get to our final question about voting, then we need to ask this critical question. Am I eager to maintain unity in the church? Right, that's a viable question. What's more important in our lives, the way we vote or the way we do unity in the body of Christ? Because if you get the unity thing wrong, remember we are, we are on a mission in this world to image God and to reconcile broken humanity to God. And if we misplace unity, we will mess up that mission. We will not do that mission well. So remember last week, We visited with the Apostle Paul where he stopped amidst all the division, all the dysfunction in the Corinthian church. And he says, can I remind you guys of one thing? I would remind you of that which you received and I received of the gospel of first importance. 
right? He made the statement that, hey, not everything can be of first importance. The gospel has to be of first importance. And, and this is familiar territory for Paul. So Philippians chapter one, you can turn there with me. I'm going to read a little section here and just take that apart for us today and, and see what this is helping us with in this moment of unity. Philippians 1 verse 25, Paul says, convinced of this. And if you back up into the verses, what are, Paul, what are you convinced of? Paul was convinced, one, that he would love to just leave this place and go be with the Lord, be in the presence of God. But he was convinced that God would have him stay for now and continue to do ministry here. So he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. Hear what? That you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for, you, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, listen, a lot of oh, good stuff to chase here. Can, can I just say Wednesday night is about that verse. Is about going before the throne of God, not looking after my own interests, but for the interests of others. So between now and Wednesday, collect into your heart with appropriate weight. What are the interests of others in light of the gospel that I'm called to come bring before the throne of God? They're all around us, right? They're in our own lives, they're in our own homes, they're in our neighborhoods, they're at our workplaces, they're in our church, they're in our government, they're in our public policies, they're in the people that are part of our society. We are here, we're going to be here Wednesday night looking out for their interests in light of the gospel and praying for them. And then, then this massive corner right here, this, this is how Paul's going to help these things get accomplished. He says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. If you're like me and you've, you've come around this passage, even from an early age in, in, in my walk with God, uh, most of us just kind of jump into this thing. We tend to jump in right about verse 5. Hey, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, and we, and we memorize right there, but, but we overlook something, the context. I mean, just that thought is a powerful thought and it's drawing our attention to the Godhead and it's inviting us to stare at the Godhead, become aware of the character and the nature of God, specifically differentiating Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's a differentiation in this passage, right? There's an all in this passage. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then there's a highlighting of one in particular, who's going to do something different than the rest. 
into this setting. And we're going to get blown away by an awareness that the eternal God who exists as the Son is going to take something of that and set it aside. It's the, the, the doctrinal term called the kenosis, the self-emptying of God himself to take the form of a human being, to set aside personal preferences and patterns and history and to put on human flesh and to do so under the banner of obedience to the Father. And that's going to get portrayed for us in a way that, hey, any of us who are here this morning shopping for an identity, shopping for, hey, who do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to be like? Right? It's very tempting in this world to stare out and find the, the power brokers, you know, the movers and the shakers, the guys who show up with the spotlights on them, get the red carpet in front of them. And they look like they got it going on and they have a rod. They're telling everybody else what to do. Life serves them. They've got it so good. Right? You know, maybe we need to stop watching entertainment tonight or Hollywood features so that we stop getting this idea that that is the most wonderful experience you could have as a human being, having everybody else serve you. Because in this passage, you stare off into heaven and you find what is glorious in the image of God is that God would humble himself and take the form of a servant and serve us. And not look out for his own interests, but look out for ours. Right, that's featured in this passage, right? That's the big deal of this passage. But why is it here? Why this massive, this is like the crescendo, right? When you hear orchestration songs, that kind of they kind of lead to something, start out, you know, the guy taps. He starts off and it's just a piccolo playing in the background, an oboe, right? Little soft little sounds. And then eventually a couple more get added and a couple more get added and a couple more get added off on the timpani and it's really big now, it's big. And then that's the crescendo, right? Well, this is the crescendo. The God who does this kind of, that's the crescendo. And I've memorized that verse, but why is the crescendo here? Why is, why is Paul bringing this out in this moment? Well, back up a little bit and you'll find out. He starts in the foothills of our lives, of the Philippians' lives, of, of how you're going about doing your life on an everyday basis. And he wants to motivate us and put us in a position to do this by staring off at God. And, and realize, when you stare off at God, that's supposed to accomplish a bunch of things in us. It should awaken worship in our lives. Right, this is why we can come together and sing on a Sunday morning because you stare off at God and that makes us wowed about God, undone by his beauty and amazed by his character. And we sing about it because it floods our souls in a particular way. That, that should be the impact of revelation from God. But here's another impact that's in this passage. Paul, why'd you bring this up? Well, all the way back in verse 25, I'm staying not going to heaven. I'm staying guys. So now let's talk about life. Let's talk about doing life here. I'm convinced that I will remain with you and continue with you. Here's why for your progress and for your joy in the faith. And now be curious about where he's going to go next with that, but be aware of something. The apostle Paul if he could stare, if he could have a personal counseling meeting with every one of us, if he could stand before us and say, here's a strategy of why I'm sharing the things I'm sharing with you for your progress. I, I, I want you to go from right here to right there. And then when you've been there for a little, I want you to go to right here. God is interesting in a progressive existence for us that we move in God, we experience more, we're transformed by more, faith operates in bigger ways. He's after our progress. So in some way, can everybody hear this? This is, this is part of progress. You can't stay where you are any longer. That's the uncomfortable part of progress, isn't it? Well, I kind of like where I am. Or, I'm, you know, I don't know what it takes for me to move farther. I'm not sure I'm willing to do that. Well, God is interested in our progress. And that progress is related to our joy. Can, can I tell you, 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 the way the Christian life is designed, it's like riding a bicycle. You know, it, it's not meant to just stand still. It's not meant to plateau. 
It's not meant to just reach a point and stop. I don't know too many Christians who are like, yeah, I, mean, I don't know, man. I just, I just stopped growing, stopped growing about 10 years ago. But the joy is unbelievable in my life. I haven't met very many Christians that put those two things in the same sentence. There's this work of God that's being enlarged and more impacting that's associated with our joy. So, so, so don't ever think, hey, let me just leave this building project alone, but I just want to be after joy. No, they're related and they're connected, right? And so this is where Paul says, hey, there's this building thing going on. And then so verse 26, then into 27, right? So I'm after your progress and your joy, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, now this is interesting, right? And then we're going to crescendo, right? These are just the musical instruments on our way to a crescendo. So when we learn about Jesus and this incredible God who humbled himself and became one of us, it's after this dimension in our lives. Jesus doing that for the sake of the gospel, modeling that, coming to earth, accomplishing what he accomplished was so that this could become our reality. Not that we would stay where we are. We'd stay in bondage to our own ways and our own ideas. And we can't get around anybody because we're so full of anger and hate because that's controlling me. And I can't get around you. God says, hey, I've got an impact for this gospel. I purchased this gospel with my own life so that it can have this kind of an impact in your life so that you could come together with a bunch of different people and lock arms side by side, even though you are so different than so many of them for the sake of the gospel. And this is what God's after in this. This God revelation is intended to show up in a massively important way right here in this setting. Right. This is what Paul was dealing with when the gospel of first importance to the Corinthians. It's, it's, it's all over the New Testament. It's the Ephesian guys. It's here in Philippians. God wants this to experience something called unity. This chemistry in the spirit that brings us together. All right, notice in Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Actually, back up in verse 27. Listen, listen to the language of togetherness here. All right. Verse 27 says, we are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for this one thing, the faith of the gospel. Then in verse two, chapter two, Paul says, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. Right, this, this is a gathering together of incredible supernatural oneness. This is, this is not a casual, we're indifferent, we're disconnected, we're really not together, we don't really pull and yoke our lives together for something. This is supernaturally one thing that happens to be dominating every one of our lives. It's not just that this church is about something, it's about every member being about that. Therefore, we are all together about that. And we carry it with a sense of passion that exceeds all other passions. And listen, don't, don't be confused in this by thinking that you don't have some of your own unique passions. That you don't have some of your own unique pursuits. And God hasn't wired you in particular ways as an individual that, that you have interests you have things that you go after. You have things that make sense to you and that matter to you more than somebody else. That's, that's not being denied in this moment. Right? So, Because when we gaze off into the Godhead, it's being modeled for us. The Father never becomes the Son who never becomes the Father. And the Spirit never becomes either. The Father is the Father. And the Son is the Son. And the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And there's individuality and uniqueness. And what Jesus comes and does in our lives is different than what the Father does and different than what the Spirit does. And we're intended to pay attention to that and to notice it. So if you and I are a little different and we, and we, we bring the glory of God into the earth in some different ways, we, we, we don't need to get at odds with each other over that. We need to be together in doing that. So there could be a variety of ways that are, that are glorious. 
that are a part of our diversity, right? We've talked about differences recently between men and women who bring the glory of God to the earth in different ways, black and white manifest the glory of God through the distinctions that God chose for there to be some of these distinctions that live among us. Baby boomers and millennials and Gen Z are, they're very different, very different. Different experiences, different things that have awakened in their lives to run after this where another generation didn't want to run after that or didn't have a value for running after that. Are are we supposed to just find no differentiation between us. We're just all going to do exactly the same thing, exactly the same way. No, we're supposed to have differentiation. That, that's not a problem for us to have that. The problem is when we can't walk in unity with one another and have those things. Because the unity is a non-negotiable. Right? We don't get to be without that in some way. So let me go back to our political world we're living in and Listen once again, here's thought from David Platt in his book. He says, according to research we've already referenced, we divide into churches based on political convictions and we only surround ourselves with people who think like us. By the way, that's not a 2020 political problem, right? That's a baby boomer problem, millennial Gen Z problem, right? We only want to surround ourselves with people who think like us. Well, if you're a baby boomer, you may have noticed Millennials don't think like you. And if you're paying attention, you're a millennial, you're noticing Gen Z doesn't think like you. But I only want to be around people who sound like me, who laugh at the same stuff, get excited about the same stuff, and want to further the things that make sense for me. I think that this is human nature, right? So it's not just a political issue. Along the way, we subtly become convinced that our convictions are the only convictions, or at least the right ones. Without knowing it, we create a false unity in the church based on political convictions instead of true unity around Christ and his word. This might be an appropriate time to pause and ask yourself, how many close relationships do I have with followers of Jesus whose political convictions differ from mine? Assuming their political convictions have biblical foundations. If you don't have many or any, then I want to encourage you to cultivate those kinds of relationships. Otherwise, we run the risk of deceiving ourselves into thinking that we have unity with other Christians around the gospel, when in reality, our unity is around a political ideology with Christ on the side. You know, there is something in this passage that is extremely, extremely attractive. But you just can't separate this from the topic of unity in the spirit. Paul's going to bring up something here. There's some wonderful promises here. And there's some real problems in this passage as well and challenges, right? Listen, Listen to these experiential dimensions. This is what this is, right? And you come together this way and you're locked arm in arm and you have oneness about you. This is, this is what you get to experience. So, verse 1 and... Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, I just stop there before he goes on to complete my joy. That's the description of a setting where unity is prevalent. You get to experience things like encouragement, comfort. Anybody want any of this stuff? Participation, affection, sympathy. I I would tend to say all of us get into relationships with anybody because we want these things. And there are moments in our lives when we desperately need them. Encouragement. Anybody here just don't care about that one? I don't care about that. Comfort. You know, if I'm going through a hard time, I'll, I'll... I'll figure it out myself. That's what angry, bitter people say. But in reality, you'd you'd like some encouragement to come your way, wouldn't you? You'd like some comfort to come your way. You'd like some participation 
in our non-isolation world, you'd like for people to actually engage your moment that you're going through that's just got you upside down and somebody comes in there and participates with you. That's different than liking a photo, by the way. You actually take part of your life and intermingle it with somebody else's life and you participate. And there's, there's affection. Can you imagine? I don't know if you describe Lakeview this way. I hope we do. That you walk away and then one of the most affectionate places I've ever been, Lakeview Christian Center. You know, you know the difference between somebody having affection for you and tolerating you? Do you know the difference? You ever feel tolerated by people? Like, you ever feel that way in the church, right? You come in and you're kind of like, you know, you don't measure up to somebody's standards and you feel like they're tolerating you because they kind of have to, like they're Christians, they can't hate you. <laughs> they can't slander you. Although maybe they have been, and you know that. <laughs> but they're just sort of tolerating you. Isn't that different than affection that comes after you and, and sends you the signal that, hey, hey man, you, you just matter to me. But, but I know you don't agree with me, right? Well, I don't have to agree with you on some of these things to have affection for you. This, this stuff is supposed to be in the church. It's what Paul's encouraging the church for it to feel like this. You know what's really sad? And I've heard people say this, and it's just extremely sad. Let's, let's make sure we're, we're affected by this verse and we're living in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're not just gospel-centered because we agree with a few ideas about justification. We're gospel-centered in the sense that we've put on Christ. And we actually live in the good of the gospel. We don't just talk about the good doctrine of the gospel. We live in the good of the gospel. And then what we experience in that living it out feels like encouragement and comfort, affection, sympathy. Right? If, I just, if I pulled that list out for you and I said, hey, where, where are you getting this stuff from right now? Where are you getting your encouragement from? Where does your comfort come from? Just do a quick inventory. What, what has been encouraging to you? Like what's been comforting for you? Where's there been a sense of sympathy that you've experienced? Listen, what, a, what a terrible day when you hear Christians come right out and say, I, I, feel, I feel more comforted and encouraged by people in the world than I do by the church. There are people at my work. There are, you know, my kids play ball with people or, you know, like we've got some other setting and context where we feel like those people are more encouraging to us than Christians are. Listen, I get and I know that, that we are called to do a number of things as a church. We are, we are called to have opinions, right? We're called to be bound to this book. We are called to further the gospel. We're not, we're not doing a thousand different things as a church. We're doing one primary thing in a bunch of different ways. So I, I know our convictions can get around this, but, but if our convictions are turning us into a place where that lacks encouragement, that lacks comfort, that lacks participation in each other's lives, that lacks affection and sympathy, we're not doing it right. What Paul was after for these guys was, was that you would be yoked together, arm in arm, striving together, doing one thing together. And this is what it would feel like when you pull that off. Right, so, you know, encouragement for us, because this matters, this is a, a massively important thing for the community that we're all building here, right? One, does your church supply these things to you? Do you experience these things here? And then the harder question is, do you supply these things to your church? Can you put your finger on ways in which you get around people like you and not like you, who are part of the body of Christ, and as a priority you have in your heart to encourage them, to comfort them? I mean, you guys would know this if you interact with other human beings that are part of a church you'll know that there's some people that you only hear from them when you cross their line. And they don't show up with encouragement in that moment. They show up irritated to correct you, to point out to you 
how irritating you are, how ungodly you are. And you're not even sure you knew that person's name before. They never showed up in your life at all. There's never been a moment of encouragement or comfort or sympathy from them. Well, you step across the line. I mean, there are people I have interacted with in the church. I lost every family member and didn't hear a ounce of sympathy from them. But if I say something in a message that they don't like, I'll hear from them. Like, wow, I really want to be a part of that church. That sounds really exciting. But this is what unity does for us. When unity is at work here, when this oneness is at work here, amongst, it feels this way. That's a description in that verse. But there's also some real challenges in this setting, right? Paul's not acting as like, hey, this is so easy. You guys will pull this off. It won't be hard at all. No, no, there's real challenges there, right? Look at verse 28. We're supposed to be striving in this side by side, doing one thing for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So while you're walking together in this amazing unity, you're going to face opponents. It's not going to all be wind in the sails, easy. We got this. There's going to be opponents. Those opponents are going to be all around. That could be inside of you. They could be people pushing back on what God's doing. And they're going to frighten you. You're going to be in a setting where you are afraid. Fear is a factor. Now, and listen, once fear shows up, anything can happen. Anything can happen. You can cut somebody down, stab them in the back, stop being their friend. You can do anything once fear is on the page with you, right? And in that fear category, Paul says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. What what is a clear sign? That you are not afraid of anything. There's something inside of you that's different, that you're not afraid. Unlike all those people out there, right? Am I talking about the news right now? Yeah. All those people out there who are angry as all get out. I know you guys have heard me say this over the years, that you will almost never find anger without finding his buddy, fear. Almost no one gets really, really angry unless fear is in the frame with them. So you want to ask, you know, when somebody's really angry, don't ask them, what are you so angry about? Ask them, what are you so afraid of? Because that's what's really going on with them. And you stare out at the world right now, and it is a world full of anger because it's a world full of fear. And when you stare into the church, should we look like we're freaked out about November the 3rd? We are, oh my God, do you understand? This is the most important election ever, ever in the history of history. But I think they said that the last election and the one before that too. But, but you're being treated like you should be freaking out right now. And yet this verse tells me I'm not supposed to be frightened of anything. Why? Why would I not be frightened? Because I, I have received a salvation from God. I've got this get out of jail free card that travels with me through every chapter of life. So whoever wins on November 3rd, I'm just going to pull that card out. And I'm going to be all right. So I don't need to be freaking out right now and neither do you. But we might be tempted to do that. Verse 29. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. All right, so you hear the ingredients here of Paul's encouragement to the church? It is this coming together with this amazing supernatural unity in the presence of scary things, opposition, suffering, and conflict. All here. Welcome to church. That's going on with us. It's not like, hey, we can just get along when everything's great. Everything's going well. 
We have no conflicts. We all love each other. We're just doing well together. Now, I'm not suffering at all. So it's not like I've got to deal with how hard this is. No, no, you have all of that in play right here, but you have this incredible unity as well. It's supernatural. I'll give you another thought from David Platt from his book about, about this fear element that's in this political moment. He says, therefore, he says, we are not worried or panicked about elections, no matter how important they may seem. For that matter, we don't worry or panic about anything. Instead, we seek the kingdom of Jesus and his sinless righteousness with true peace and total confidence in his supreme reign. After all, we know that throughout history, leaders have risen and fallen. Presidents have come and gone. Through it all, one king alone has remained constant, and he is not up for election. Regardless of what president is chosen in our country, Jesus will be in control of it all. Listen, whenever you start thinking that someone is going to get power over you, you're going to have to be dealing with fear whenever that happens. And this could be a president who's going to form policies and create laws and rules, and that's going to have some kind of power. So, so fear is waiting to show up in that moment. That, that could be being married to a husband or a wife that suddenly begins to go wayward and become selfish. And they've got power over you. You're bound to them. And, and, and they are steering their life into a ditch. And fear, because they've got power over you, fear is going to show up. All right, listen, you could be a young person here and, and fear can show up because you're being raised by parents who are just a little bit too careful and a little bit too conservative for you. They don't let you do certain things. And so there's fear in your life. You're going to be ostracized from your friends. You're not going to be able to fit in. It's a matter of power being somewhere. The bully at school who shows up in your life, right? That's a person who could have power over you. And fear comes. Well, what's the remedy to that? A gospel that presents to you a salvation that is from God. You have a salvation from God. You can venture into scary spaces and not be afraid. And so can you and I, right? We are, we are living in some of the strangest times that any of us have been through. Conflicts, yep. Opponents, yep. Suffering, yep. Scary stuff, yep. But yet a summons here to gospel unity shared by God's people. Right, one, one last thought from Mr. Platt. He says, in a world where Christians divide into different churches over political candidates, parties, and positions, we have a unique opportunity to show that there's another way. To show that the church of Jesus Christ is a distinct and otherworldly community that transcends political party and preference. Don't you want that kind of unity? If so, if so, don't let this election and the choices you and other Christians make divide you from one another. Take the time to listen, to learn from, and love one another, particularly those who differ from you. Love one another knowing that one morning we will wake up with no idea that we are about to meet face to face with the king. We'll be going about our day, business as usual. And instead of a voice calling us from behind a stage, we'll hear a trumpet boom from the sky. In that moment, the moment we've been waiting for our whole lives, we will see the face of Jesus. And this is true for all who have trusted in Jesus, even those with whom we disagree politically or generationally or personality. So listen, this is a wonderfully reorienting aspect of our lives to, in all of our variety, to be about one thing more than anything else. Now, so let me give you this last thought, Eric. You can come back up here and we're going to 
close in prayer together. We'll go back to that chemistry illustration, right? There, there's, there's a dimension in our lives that I'm not trying to vilify. I'm not trying to act like you should be best friends with everybody. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I, I think God has made us in unique ways that, you know, you, you should have married this person. Yeah. You know, there was there chemistry there. Yeah. I hope there was right. So I think that there's a, a natural chemistry that that's not a problem for us. But as Christians, we have a spiritual chemistry between us. If something that joins us to each other, that's powerful and it's different than what the world has. And so in that category, I think I wrote this in your notes, whether the natural chemistry of your life attracts you to Republicans or Democrats, to black people or white people, to wealthy people or to poor people, to masks or absolutely no masks, to type A people or type Z people, to baby boomers or Gen Z, the spiritual chemistry of a Christian attracts us to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're going to be doing here on Wednesday night. We're going to be doing that. Which means all are going to come with a burden to pray before God. And that burden is going to be informed by the gospel. The thing that we have of first importance in all of our lives. We may not agree politically. We may not take up the social issues in exactly the same way among us. But I hope you've taken up the gospel in such a way that you could come here right now in this hour with all that stuff going on in this world and stand in front of that microphone and call out before the throne of God for the sake of the kingdom of God to come. Now, I know there's a lot of obstacles in the way. I know this might be a very hard thing to do. I'm, I'm just going to buckle up my seatbelt and see what happens on Wednesday nights. But I, I know there are some, and probably the folks at home are probably who I need to be referencing, because if you're here, you've already overcome some things to be here. Uh, there, it, this, this exists as a mandate on our lives. It doesn't get to be an option, whether you're have to wear a mask or not. Right, so if you're Christian, you have a calling on your life to be the priesthood of God in this world. So that calls upon you to carry the interest and the needs of this broken world before God and cry out in intercession for the sake of reconciliation. That's not an option for your life. And if somehow you can't be here to do that because you'd have to wear a mask to come here, can you, can you just show me the mask passage real quick? Because I think what I showed you today doesn't care about masks. It cares about one thing above all other things. And in this hour, church needs to be the church. The church needs to take up its place before God. And no matter how we disagree or agree on some of these issues, for the sake of the faith of the gospel, we are to be striving side by side so that whether you're a dyed-in-the-wool Republican standing next to this microphone in line to somebody who's a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, you are standing side by side for the sake of the faith of the gospel. That's what unifies us trying to be unified in all these other places. We're not called to be. But we're going to come here to, on Wednesday night with one hope. One hope that we have for the world. One hope. And we're going to ask God for that one hope to invade these places. And I, and I hope between now and Wednesday night, you would let God burden you with the ways in which our world is broken. The ways in which we need to be crying out for God to touch that and to touch that. To see suffering and conflicts and injustices that are all around us and to go before God with those things with a heart full of the faith of the gospel.
Let's, let's stand up together. We are all noticing these are such unusual times that we find ourselves in. Lord, many of us have been affected in many different ways. Maybe some have not been severely affected at all. And some have become very animated and very affected in these days. Lord, let each of us stand before you and and honestly ask this question. Or what needs to happen in my heart for this unity to be functioning there in my life? What needs to happen, Lord? Something I need to see about you? Something... Like Paul did in Philippians, look at Jesus. Though he existed in the form of God, he did not cling to that position and refuse to lay his life down for others. Lord, what is it about that that I need to see? Lord, is there something about my hope that I need to see? There is one hope in this world. And it's the hope to get us out of this world. It's the hope to set us into eternity. It's the hope to make us right with you. Lord, Lord, have I misplaced that hope and I've I've made some other hope, the thing that I'm trying to broker for other people or for myself? Is that in the way of me being unified with your church? Lord, do I I need some greater self-awareness in this moment? Lord, whatever it is, you inspired the Apostle Paul to say over and over and over again to churches like the Corinthians, like the Philippians, like the Ephesians, that there is this one thing of first importance. And when it is of first importance, it stands in our lives in a way that brings us together so that we experience humility and gentleness patience with each other, encouragement, comfort, sympathy. Lord, I love those descriptions. I want those descriptions. I I want them in my own heart. I want them in my own life. and And I want to be a source of those things to others. So God, I thank you for a salvation that came into my life in 1979. I thank you for a gospel that explains to me where to put my faith, what to receive from you, and what makes me right with you. But God, I'm asking for gospel realities all around us, in my own heart, the ability to walk in these spaces, freed from myself, animated by your spirit, living gloriously before your presence, and having an impact on one another together. In this hour, Lord, in this hour, 2020 hour, in this hour, Lord, Help us to do one thing above everything else. Jesus, lover of my soul, all-consuming fire is in your gaze Jesus I want you to know I will follow you all my days for no one else in history is like and history itself belongs to you 
And I will share eternity with you. It's all about you. Jesus, and all this is for you. For your glory and your fame. It's not about me. should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender. It's all about you. should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender. You alone. You alone are God, and I surrender to your Lord, help us to live this week, and really the rest of our lives, Lord, we want to live in the way that, that we heard this morning, Lord, live as Christians who are filled with hope, and with the hope in the right direction, uh, from the right source, or that, that the hope that we see as we stare at you, and as we think about and consider what Jesus has done for us, as we rely not on ourselves, but on the power of the Spirit, as we trust in the sovereignty of our Father. As all these things happen, Lord, our hope would be in the right direction. It would be set on you, Lord. Lord, so do that in our midst, Lord. Give us a big view of you, Lord. Our lives, all this planet, Lord, it really is all about you and for your glory and for your fame. So help us this week, we pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Would you be kind to us this week and help lift our gaze, lift it up away from all the noise, away from all the problems that we see around us. Lord, and look at the Savior. Lord, look at Jesus, who is the one that we live for, one where our hope is found. So do that work in us, we pray. Amen. Have a great week.